Hello, old friends and new friends. Welcome, everybody, to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Wright, and I'm your host today. Uh, I want to give a special thanks uh, to our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you, number one, uh, by our good friends at Veeam Software. Uh, I'm longtime fans and friends of the Veeam community and, and the team there. So if you want to get everything for your data protection need, they literally have everything from soup to nuts, cloud to on-premises, whether it's private cloud, public cloud, SaaS, you name it. Uh, they are your one-stop shop for all your data protection needs, whether you're a small business or you're in the enterprise. Either way, you're covered. Uh, in fact, you can go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse, and you can find out all about it. And in fact, you can even buy it right there if you want. But most of all, go check it out. Uh, they're, they're just a great team, and I love the platform. So go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse and check it out for yourself. Secondly, this is brought to you by our good friends at Velocity Closing. Velocity Closing is a new project that I've been spinning up. I am the creator of the new four-step guide to delivering extraordinary software demos that win deals. This is something I've been working on for a while. It's been kind of a passion play to make sure that I can bring the lessons that I've learned in the, the forward-facing and customer community and bring that back to teach you how to be a better technical seller and to really up your game on how you engage with people through the you know demos and sales and webinars and everything. Uh, See, so not only if you go to velocityclosing.com, can you download the book right away, uh, but you also get access to the audiobook read by yours truly. And then you also are going to get access to the course, which is an interactive uh, four-part course that'll uh, be something that I can share with you, the lessons that we share throughout the book, and you can get it firsthand in a very interactive way. So check it out. Go to velocityclosing.com. And now it's time for the good stuff. This is an episode featuring Jacob Glenn. Jacob is the founder of MGenio, and it is a really great conversation for so many reasons. I, I lit up yeah, from this discussion because it's just such a powerful story of uh, creating a good human connection, doing team building. We especially talk about the challenges of whether you choose the consulting route versus the platform and product route. So Jacob brings just such a, a great wealth of knowledge in, in running a successful consulting practice and understanding how to truly engage uh, and you know create a business wrapped around it successfully. So check this out, Jacob Glenn, and I hope you enjoy the show as much as I did. Hi, this is Jacob Glenn, uh, founder of MGenio, and you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. Now, the funny part is I, I like to be the most transparent about how things go. And we're actually on take two, Jacob. We uh, made the, I made the classic podcaster error and I forgot to hit recording at the start, but luckily I caught it before we got too far. So this is fresh for folks. And what I, I wanted to really bring is, is what we're going to talk about today is one of the most profound connections, I believe, and, and ways that technology is important is in what it is that we do with it because of how it's consumed and ultimately why it's consumed. And that's really driven from people and teams. And the way that I describe it is often that the, the people that have the greatest understanding of true, you know, how consumption works and how it needs to work are builders. 
and you are you are that you are a builder so if you want to just quickly run through your background jacob let's talk about mgneo and and some of the really cool stuff that your team's doing sure yeah so um i uh i kind of grew up in the consulting world i worked for both software companies and consulting firms um and and kind of got tired of doing it for other people i i ran into over the course of my career a lot of politics and bureaucracy that um, that I found just unnecessary. And so started MGNEO with the idea that, um, you know, originally we were going to do just mobile development. Um, I had uh, early in the mobile sphere uh, when the iPhone just dropped, I had led some projects that were um, kind of some of the first uh, big mobile apps. And uh, I really kind of liked that kind of cutting edge technology and um, found that the developers really didn't like the uh, uh, the politics that were required in, in uh, companies. And so we founded MGNEO as a culture driven organization um, where we could work on cool stuff, um, work with good people and have fun doing it. And so that's kind of was the foundation. Um, and that's evolved over time uh, from just mobile, um, actually it evolved very quickly. Um, the first project we had was not a mobile project, but uh, when you're first starting out, you take what you can get. And so, um, that's what we did. And uh, so, yeah, so we went from mobile to mobile and cloud to mobile and cloud kind of naturally as we follow um, kind of what is cutting edge technology or, or um, we moved into IoT. And so a lot of our work today is in IoT. Well, this is the interesting thing. And, and I, I really enjoyed that you led with the idea that you built a culture first organization and like that, that approach. Because I think that's where the most successful consulting, the most successful platforms are born of that understanding, right? If you don't understand your own culture, let alone kind of how people will, will use platforms, then, you know, you could be the most amazing developer, the most amazing artist, the most amazing something, but ultimately it will, it will be an audience of you <laughs> and a small few, sadly. And, and for us to really get adoption, especially with the abundance of options, you know, in a way it's, it's almost ideal for you because people say, all right, you know what? I need a mobile app. I need a, you know, an app development. I need to think about IOT. Doesn't they, they have all these native tools. And you just sort of sit there and go, all right, I'll see you in a couple of days because you're going to figure out that this is not friendly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, um, the way we look at it, right? Like, uh, we bring some things to the table, uh, where like the way I think about things, like I've always been at that intersection of business and technology. Right. So like, um, we have certainly had customers over our history where, <laughs> You know that well i need a mobile app right that's the, the greatest example okay wh what do you what do you want the mobile app to do i don't know i just need a mobile app and you're like, well, <laughs> okay but why <laughs> right and and so that's where it's like well what's the value you're adding for your customers what's the business value right there should be both of those if it's going to be successful and, and and sometimes we get the you know i just need a mobile app because all my competitors have mobile apps I'm like and so that that's the challenge um, but I've always had that kind of intersection of business and technology. And then I 
built my team around some of the things that I don't have, right? Like, so I've got, I'm not like a, from a design perspective, I'm not a super like uh, detailed person around how things look, right? But I've got some developers on my team who love pretty things, right? They like the new designs and, and kind of incorporating those and make sure that what we put out as a product is both, you know, it meets that business and technology barrier, but also it's visually appealing and it, it, it's usable and those things. So um, I, and that, that's a, kind of how we look at things. Well, and it's the, I think the UI and the UX have a very tight intersection because how it's presented ultimately draws people to use it. If the user experience, which is different, that uh, often those are, you know, conflated. UI and UX are different things. It can right. look beautiful, but if it's really difficult as far as a user flow and a, you know, there's a workflow, it doesn't matter how great it looks, uh, it's, it's not gonna work out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's also, you know, there's a lot of value and simplicity, right? On the UX side, especially, right? Um, every feature that you can think of isn't always valuable, right? If you have a simple solution that is easy to use, um, there's a lot more value there for your end users. Now, how did you, how did you come to be you? Uh, you know, as you headed into your first consulting, I'm curious, Jacob, what's your own personal background? Sure. Uh, so I, uh, I went to Case Western and got a uh, computer engineering degree. And um, pretty early on in that, um, I realized I maybe wasn't the best developer. Um, there were other people that were much better than I was. Um, and I didn't really want to sit in the corner and pound on a keyboard all day. Um, so I, I went on and got a what I call a technical MBA. It was a master's of engineering and management um, with the intent of leveraging that to go and get a, an, a, my first job in something other than programming. Um, and so I did that and then I took a job at a software company uh, here in Cleveland called Highland Software. Um, at the time I was like employee number 250 roughly. Now they're I think like 2000. So, oh, okay. um, so you've seen that you've seen that growth period and which was interesting The first out of the gate you just went right into uh, almost a startup style deployment. Yeah, and, and that was a great experience. Um, but I, in that role, I was part of their professional services team. They have a software uh, solution. I was part of their professional services team. And I was basically uh, playing all the different roles. I was the project manager and uh, the business analyst and the developer um, for, you know, customizing the solution for, for clients who had um, you know, unique needs. And so that was a really great experience, a lot of exposure to all the different kind of components. And then I just kind of parlayed that as I went um, with my last job before I started my company being, um, I was working for a consulting company where I, I built a technology center for, for them um, from two employees to over 50 in two and a half years. Wow. Um, and that was also a great experience, right? So, so if you book in my career outside of my own business, um, I had, you know, some really great experiences, but what I ran into in both of those was, you know, in my first job, I kind of like outgrew my manager and didn't see any mobility. And there was all this like, well, you need to be time at level to move up, right? It doesn't matter what you're doing, there's time at level, right? And then 
on the other end, I was hiring all these um, young and uh, motivated developers who were running into that same thing that I could like, even as I was running their technology center, I couldn't remove that from the culture um, to open that up. And so that was, that was kind of my, um, my push to, to go out and do it uh, what I consider the right way. Yeah. And, and this, I think we, every founder I talked to, we, we call it the, the moment you realized you were unemployable. <laughs> it's like, you just say like, I don't think I want to do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I have used that term with my wife. Uh, I told her, I was like, yeah, I, I don't know. When I started the business, that was my like fallback was, well, like, I could, I have enough connections. I could always go get another job. Um, about a year in, I'm like, I don't think I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to make this work. Yeah, well, this is an interesting thing too. I, I actually very recently just uh, finished up the book called Lost and Founder. Uh, it's by Rand Fishkin, who is the founder of Moz and, and goes through all a, a story that's very similar to yours and this idea that started with consultancy and then launched a business, which in a sense, like they're, they were much more aggressive on developing a product business based on their work in consultancy you've you've hung on and it's funny if you go through all the startup manuals and you listen to the y combinators of the of the world god bless them like they're doing fantastic things and they're creating these amazing organizations but the percentage failure rate of product-led businesses is disturbingly high like it's not you're not in a good you know, people say like, it's nice to be part of the 1%. How about knowing you need to be the 1% just to survive in five years? Right. The stats are not in your favor versus there's been this kind of poo-pooing of consultancy as an arm of, of growth and stability. And because maybe it doesn't get these huge outsized returns that they would normally see from a venture capital banked thing. So, you know, you, where at one point did you say consultancy is my thing? We're going to use product development as as what we do. But have you ever thought, should I build a tool and sell a tool? You know, versus can I just build for other people? Yeah. So there's certainly appeal to it, right? The idea that you like because we live and die by the project, and when you live and die by the project, there's some stress that goes with that. As as the you know the guy at the at the top, um, but uh, you know there are also certainly some challenges with products. And so um, I actually early on um, had a partner, and we had another business as well. Because because um, you know I joke uh, that I, whenever I do something, I, I can't just do one thing. I got to do a bunch of things all together that most people would consider crazy to do any of them, right? So I started the business. Um, uh, and, and then, you know, had a kid and, uh, sold my house and bought a new house that we built and started another business all within a year. Right. Cause, cause you know, that's sane. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, the, the, the second business was a product business and, um, you know, my, uh, experience there was that you know the, the the sales cycle is really hard with with a with a product business because you have to develop something that someone else wants to buy and then there needs to be lots of those someone else's 
Whereas yeah. today, you know, we have experience and expertise that, you know, someone can come to us and say, I want to build this IoT project. And we can say, here's what we've done. Here's what we know is best practice. And, and not only that, but I have a very clear idea of what it takes to get you from where you are to where you want to be. And that's very comforting for both our customers and for us, because we know what we're getting into, right? With a product, I, it's constantly changing, right? Like the 47 pivots from when you start writing your first line of code to the time you actually have a customer, I mean, that's a hard period to get through. Yeah, well, and it's funny, the, that's the other sort of myth of, of startup world is that we have this idea of the sexy pivot, like every, you know, every musical band's overnight success story. Like, first of all, they're not overnight. These pivots are painful. They're generally yeah. done because you're running, like you're about to run out of payroll. <laughs> and right. often they do. Like it's, this is, they're actually, they're amazing hero stories, but again, one in a thousand is successful. Like we think of ODO becoming, you know, Twitter, you know, and all these types of these hero stories. Like, no, no, I admire that Jack is this, you know, sort of farm kid from Wisconsin. And, and he, he went on to create this billion dollar, you know, multi-billion dollar startup. Yeah, no, that was a lot of happy accidents that worked out. You know, you worked hella, yeah. you worked hella hard to make it happen, but those pivots are tough to survive. And, you don't walk into them with purpose. No one says like, okay, this is the first thing we're gonna do, then we're gonna pivot. Like, no, that, you'd never design a business that way. <laughs> right, no, I mean, a pivot by definition is either a, a financial call, a trigger or it's, it's a, failure of your, a failure of your original direction, right? And yeah. so, I mean, we, we do embrace failure in the startup world, right? But we embrace it as a learning experience, not necessarily as a goal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, 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 well embraced and learned failures it's there's a difference in like sometimes you just don't have a choice there are market conditions there are things that will occur that you have no influence over you know or or just not enough and yeah. so you, those are those are the right kind of failures that if you can come to the other side of them then you say whoo all right you know how would i have done that differently and it's also not just the failures that we should say, how would I have done that differently, but the good things. So I'm curious, Jacob, when you go into a, a project or, or you build something or you have an idea and it's successful, what's your kind of retrospective view and how do, you, how do you sort of close up a project and then think about what's next as a result of what you just did? Yeah, so there, there's two ways that we think about that, right? So one is, um, in, in my business, we never want to close up a project, right? We want to okay. just kind of roll into the next thing with that customer. We build those relationships and become uh, an integral partner for them, right? Because that, uh, you know, that keeps us uh, in a stable environment where we're continuing to, to bring in revenue and, and, and hopefully grow. Um, but in terms of... Uh, how we think about um, both successes and failures of, of projects. I mean, we've done a lot of work with startups um, where we've built their, you know, minimum viable product. And, and, you know, we've had some of those be successful and some of them not. And so some of the things that have come out of those, um, those failures are, are things like new, new offerings, right? So 
we um, we came out with this what we call a CTO as a service and and offering and, and really it's we've worked with these startups who have non-technical founders that want to develop a technical product and um, they don't have that layer of technical vision and road mapping and and kind of like uh, analysis on a technical level to make good decisions, right? And we can advise them as we're building stuff, but there's some bigger picture things, you know, that, that they need. Um, and certainly they can go find a, a, a technical co-founder or hire a CTO, but at a startup level, a lot of times they're not ready for that, right? So, so they, they need someone a day a week or a couple days a month to really kind of provide that um, advisory level technical vision. Um, and so after working with a couple different startups where we helped them build their MVP, but then they, you know, took that and, and tried to go raise money and they didn't have someone technical at the table or, they, you know, there's a series of things there. We said, you know what, you know, some of these guys need this type of support. And so we put that offering out. And, and so we've done that a few times. Um, and then we learn from that, right? And and so um, that's kind of how we think about those retrospectives. Now, the what you just brought up is very interesting, right? And and it's it's good that you've you've identified that that is the key thing, right? They they have a specific need, which is a very much a people need. And again, you you go through the if you go and you read the book, it'll be like that's when we sought out our technical co-founder and we discovered. Joanne and Joanne led us through our first, you know, funding rounds. You're like, yeah, no one tells you that for nine months they burned cash, sold houses, did whatever they could. Because yeah. finding a technical co-founder, it's it's like saying I'm just going to go speed dating and find my life partner. It just does not happen that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and having having had a partner breakup, that's a whole another. Like, I mean that person and the, the chemistry with that person is really important. So you don't want to rush it. Yeah. And, and also for all of those hero, you know, unicorn stories, take a look at the founding of Twitter and they are, the path forward has been lit by the bridges they burnt behind them. They have technical co-founders, which have, have literally never entered the social ecosystem again for right. pure hatred of the fact that they were, just burned out and shoved aside. It's a, it's a tough relationship as a, as a starting group. And to say that you're going to just pick up another founder, it's not an easy thing. <laughs> it is not. Yeah. So how do you choose your team? Um, so, you know, it's, that's uh, something that we've, we've done. Um, I, I've kind of learned over my career. And, and so I hire for attitude and aptitude. Um, I don't go out and seek, you know, someone who's super experienced who, who, you know, is the expert in, you know, technology X. Um, not that there's not a place for those people. There certainly is. Right. Um, but, uh, we are, you know, we, as I mentioned, are very culture driven and finding the right fit for that. Um, and, and taking someone who doesn't have, you know, a chip on their shoulder and is, is, hasn't been jaded over time and is maybe a little younger in their career, but they're really hungry and they fit with the people that we have um, tends to work better because we get this collaboration. I mean, right now with COVID has been, you know, for our industry, there's not much impact, right? It's software development lends itself to remote work, but there's been an impact for us because 
my team loves being in the office because of the collaboration and the working together and, and the, the additional productivity that comes out of that. Um, and that's because of how we hire, right? We hire for culture fit. We hire for attitude and aptitude. If they have the foundation, they can learn a new syntax, right? Yeah. Um, but they, if, if they're, you know, if they're the type of person who's hungry, they want to, they want to work on cool stuff. They want to, you know, they want to build things. Um, and they want to do it with people that they can like learn from and, and, and learn with and grow with. That's a good fit for us. So that's kind of how we approach hiring. And it, so it, the interesting thing is, like you said, while our industry in, in tech has not suffered as greatly, maybe as a result of COVID, first of all, because tech is still generally necessary, if not more necessary. Yep. And yep. also we have the technical ability to work remotely. Definitely that in-person experience really kind of changed the way we do things. I'll be curious on the other side of it. You know, some people are sort of cheering it on. They're like, ha ha, screw your open offices, right? Like, thank God we're finally done with that. The, you know, you're on a call with some startup and you're a ping pong table in the background as you're talking to yourself. <laughs> like, uh, it's cute, you know. However, I actually really enjoy it. I hate it for good hunks of my day. But right. boy, the fact that you can just be like, like a meerkat, just like stand up and look around and see what's going on. And then, Hey, you know, grab on to, I need Beth and I need Joe. Uh, Hey, can you got a second? And just that look Slack is great, but it's not that kind of meerkat manner ability to just pop up, look around and say like, Hey, got a second. I got something cool. I want to show you. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I mean, so as someone who's, who's leading my team, um, to be able to, you know, developers, they get into a zone and you don't want to interrupt them. And to be able to look out and say, hey, this person is, is taking a break. Now's a good time to talk to them. I'm not going to, you know, break up their productivity. I'm not going to interrupt them when they're in a, you know, a good state of, of development. Um, you can't do that with Slack, right? Or if you schedule a meeting, then, you know, then they have the switching time to get to the meeting and then leave the meeting. It's, it's, it, you do lose some of that. And so your, your, your description of Meerkat, I mean, I've always called it managing by walking around. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there really is, it's, it's effectively the, the pulse of the room gives you an idea on, hey, maybe this is probably not a good time to, to jump in, you know, and I've, my particular office that I have that's, you know, I rarely go to the office because even the office I go to is a purely development office. And so I go in and all I see is like, you know, 22 people with three screens a piece. And they're like, they're like leaning back in their chair, just watching builds go by it. And all you'll hear is just, just nothing. And all of a sudden, oh. <laughs> it's not just some awful grunt and groan, like, oh, and you hear like the, you know, a yeah. mouse go down and you're like, all right. And then, you know, there's break time. And then immediately they're just different humans. They are right. suddenly like, oh man. So, hey, you, you, Honda or what's the right mower? Like they'll have these weird conversations, nothing right. to do with that. And then the moment that it's like, the whistle goes, they go back to, you know, it's like one-ish, you know, they'll go back and they'll back at it. And then 
the headphones go on and yeah. and they're they're got to get into that flow state of of development yeah context switching is brutal yeah yeah how is the i'll ask you this question quite simply how do you do many things without doing many things at a time in this idea like multitasking is in in you we are incapable as a species of multitasking we believe that we are and in fact the people that think they are are actually the worst at it generally <laughs> if you measure them but you talked about your house house start up a company you know build a product how do you context switch without, um, without losing that focus right because you don't have yeah, a choice. It, you're you're running the show. You have to do a lot of things at some kind of a simultaneous kind of you know throwdown. Yeah. So I um well, so one, I am I am working on creating better balance and not getting into that level of how many things I'm doing. I mean, I think I have three kids and having three kids really makes you kind of reprioritize some things. Yeah, it um, changes your schedule quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, and my house is a circus because, you know, you have three kids, they create a circus. Yeah. But that said, um, I, I, you know, so even though I, like I said at the beginning, like I, I'm not, I don't consider myself to, to have ever been the best developer. I, I did, you know, have that kind of plug in and do something kind of mentality. And so I still like plug into things. So I plug in, I, I, I focus for a period of time on that. And then I step back and I look at the list. All right, what, what, all, what all's on the list and what makes sense to go to next? Um, and then I also help, you know, one of the things I do for my, my team is to, I try to help them prioritize, right? Um, because I, they can get overwhelmed if they're not prioritizing. Um, and so I try to um, help them to prioritize what's what should be in what order and that lets them kind of be more productive and like just plowing through their list um and and sometimes that changes and you know we all have our uh our frustrations with uh you know a, abrupt change um but that's what i try to do well the interesting thing too is i i describe startup life and like founding life as two dichotomous statements. You don't need to do everything, but you need to do everything, right? You, you kind of hit it, right? You don't want to be stuck effectively, might not micromanaging is maybe not the, but you kind of get pulled down to the, the weeds. So you don't want to be there, but you need to be able to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's that, that's where um, it's that tightrope walk, right? Like how do you empower your people while still, um, you know, not, not, not micromanaging, not getting too deep into the weeds, but empower them to run with things, but also make sure that the priorities are right and that you're delivering for your customers. I mean, there's, there's a lot of balls to juggle. Um, that's part of the fun of it though. <laughs> yeah. You're, I bet you if you went in, in years in my background, we're probably similar age range, probably wore the same uh, goofy concert shirts through high school, probably did a lot of the same. And it's funny, like you can, 
you tend to find like-minded people in our industry and we very easily kind of like, oh, yeah, I get it, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, the thing that you, the way you describe it is very, very good. You talk about the intersection of business and technology. And I find that again, personality style, I'm, I, I get where you're coming from. I'm buying what you're selling because this, I believe is the most important merger, that Venn diagram of these two points that an amazing technologist or an amazing business person is missing a, the, the crossover capability that's needed in order to turn one into the other. You need to turn your tech into a business and you need to drive your business through technology. Otherwise, both sides are going to get get buried. Was that something that you were, you did, were you that kid that at 14 years old was mowing the neighbor's lawn for 20 bucks because he said, hey, look, somebody's got to do it and, and I may as well make a couple of bucks while I'm at it, right? Uh, yeah, you recognize so early? So uh, sort of, but not, not exactly, not in the traditional sense of entrepreneurship. So I grew up, I grew up out in the country. Um, so, so I grew up on a, a small farm that was actually more like a petting zoo than a farm, but um, uh, there wasn't that, that type of opportunity, but I did like, you know, I bailed hay for the farmer, you know, down the street and, and um, you know, I chopped wood for, for people. So I was focused on that in some sense, but it was more like odd jobs for, for, um, for folks in the area. Um, but it wasn't ever uh, entrepreneurship, if you will. I, I didn't have like, a, I wasn't like, it's a business. No, it's just, this is how I can make some money. Um, and, but I was always focused on, as I was younger, on how, how do I like, find the job that pays more right like so i had friends who would work at the ice cream shop or the pizza shop you know making five bucks an hour or whatever and i found uh in high school i found a telemarketing job that paid me like nine bucks an hour plus commission right and so yeah. like i was making toys what they were and so that was like how i optimized things um it wasn't until college it, it actually my master's degree i had a an entrepreneurship course where like a light bulb went off and it was like oh all those thoughts that I've had over the yeah. years, that's, that's how it all comes together. Um, but I think um, in my career and in and, and, and our business, like I would encapsulate our business in this, is that um, living in that, um, in that center, that center portion of that Venn diagram, as you say, um, which you probably can relate to, when you live in that, that middle area and can speak to both sides, you become very valuable, right? Because that's where the disconnect is for, for the two sides, right? The marketing guy doesn't know how to talk to the developers. They, they think it's, you know, it's a different language. And the developers are like, this marketing guy doesn't know what he's talking about, right? <laughs> like, that's not how this works. And so you get that frustration and the guys that sit in the middle are able to really connect the dots. And, and so that's where I think the, the, the value comes from. That's where you get a good product versus a, a mediocre product, right? It's the execution piece um, that, that I think uh, is what I bring to the table what my, and how I've kind of structured our company to deliver is, you know, all the people I hire need to at least have some ability to um, speak to that other side. Even if it's not super strong, they have to at least um, be able to get somewhere into that middle area. You, you described so many things in a way that you may not even realize that you actually do. When you talked about your first jobs, 
you didn't say that I, I did this job. You said you did it for somebody, right? You did this for, you know, you bailed hay for the fellow down the road. You, you did this for somebody else. You work for your customers that you, you very much, well, they talk about this idea of like servant leadership. And, and it, it seems to be, it's, it's pervasive in just your, your speech, which is really cool. It's amazing. And it's rare which I think is also why like that, that empathy makes like a great developer and a great builder, because if you, if you're always thinking I'm doing this for somebody else, not to just, you know, jam out a, a, a an, an invoice. It's so different. Right. And I, so I would imagine you've got a growing customer base just because of you seem to approach this very much in a, I am doing this for a greater good. And that greater good is for somebody else. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Um, I, I haven't really thought about that. Um, I, I know I've, I, I have um, some peers who have talked about servant leadership, and I never really kind of like, I never really envisioned it how you describe it, right? Um, uh, it always seemed kind of gimmicky to me in the sense of like, oh, the CEO works for the, the you know, the the lower level people like yeah but not really right like you're still leading, right. Right? but like the way you describe it makes more sense um but i think you know i i say we a lot and i say we a lot because that, me by myself i mean i i couldn't deliver what we do um we deliver because we're a team or a cohesive team who brings a variety of experience and value right and and when we work for our customers i mean we we are absolutely the experts in the room like i mean that's how we sell we, it's not really a sales process right it's a here's what you're trying to accomplish here's what we know and here's how we would do it right um but then once we're working with our customers we're partnering with them right we're on their team and that's how that's i mean that's how we look at it and so if we're part of their team we have the same goals if we're our team trying to, you know, make money, well, then we don't have the same goals, right? Because it's good for us to just take more ownership, but that may not be the best thing for them. And so I think some of it comes from working with startups. Um, some of it's just, a, you know, a, a mentality and approach to, um, I've always believed uh, the, the success of our, our work is the success of our customers ultimately, right? Because we're their team. I think you've you've nailed it. And like you said, it's a dangerous thing. Sometimes we attach a like a phrase to it, like servant leadership. You're like, oh, that's the the management speak du jour, right? Like, oh yeah. great. And some other, you know, like customer centricity is one that I often see I really struggle when I hear someone say customer centric. I'm like, describe what you mean by customer centric. You know, it started with the customer is always right, which in development, as you learned, it's actually rarely true. They right. actually rarely know what they want. And <laughs> that's why you're there. Right. But customer centricity is the, I, my success is your success. I, my success will be a result of the successes you achieve by the things we do together. And that's how I measure myself and the outcome. And, and like you said, I, I often say like, we succeed and I fail. I fully look for how did I specifically 
miss something or do something that could have had a greater outcome versus we have to celebrate successes as a group. You obviously, there's a bit more, you know, focus of, of particular personalities maybe in that group. But ultimately, if we don't do that as a we, then eventually you've got a whole lot of eyes working for your team. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, when I look at, when I look at my team, um, you know, I've got, I've got a guy who's a craftsman, right? He, he is, we think about like someone who builds beautiful furniture. He builds beautiful code, right? Like he wants it to be done the right way. And I've got a guy who is, um, you know, the, the scrappy kind of like, let's just figure out how to get this done in a prototype manner, right? And I can't put either of those guys by themselves on an island, right? Because you're either going to get something that shows you how it's going to work, but falls apart under pressure, or you're going to get something that takes, you know, 10 years to build and it's going to be a, a beautiful, you know, tire swing, right? But yeah, that's right. like, what, what do you end up with? If you, but if you bring, you know, those different personalities together as a team, then we can deliver on, on everything that's needed. And I, I think that's when I look at my team, um, that's actually part of the fun, right? Like is that I get to work with these guys and, and we can work on cool work, cool projects together, right? Um, you know, we've recently finished, um, we're working with uh, Moen, the faucet company. Um, yeah. And, and we, we worked with them on their smart faucet, right? And, you know, I'm a proud owner myself. <laughs> are you? Yeah, it's great. Hopefully, hopefully you're enjoying it. Um, like, but uh, we, we work with them on that for, you know, a year um, on the mobile apps and on the, the cloud infrastructure. And as we're doing that, um, the excitement of my team as we get closer and closer combined with the like excitement on the customer side. And then that kind of all um, you get to CES and they won a bunch of awards and like collectively, right. We all are celebrating that. Right. Yeah. My guys are like, I can tell my friends that I was, you know, when that clip on the daily show that made fun of this faucet, like <laughs> that's the highlight of my team for the year. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's, and that's amazing when you get to, it's actually very rare too, like to have such great celebratory moments that are public in a way, it's it's kind of neat. You can imagine all these like amazing technologists that are working for like the NSA or something or they're like, right. man, I did this incredible thing that I'm never allowed to discuss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we did at one point do an app for it, it was a it was for a government agency and it was there was some top secret stuff around it and so uh, my I had a guy who used to joke about if he told anybody about it like someone's gonna come flying through the window and uh, you know you know uh, body armor and whatever and he used that was like that was how he like kind of like had his excitement about it because he like couldn't tell anybody about it yeah it's so and that's the interesting thing so part of the getting through milestones and growing as a team, as a person is we have to have some celebration, you know, how, how much do you enjoy and dwell on that before you go into retrospective mode and kind of then move forward to, you know, what needs to be done. Yeah. Next? You know, I think it's all really fluid. Um, 
we try to like we do things in in the office when we have well i have board games on a friday afternoon get some beers and board game and kind of sit around and you know that that's the environment where some of the celebration comes out and some of the retrospective comes out it's like this you know, like depending on the the day and you know how different people feel like you get some of both and i think it's um in my mind i, I think it's we create the environment for for both and you know you just let it flow and it, it um it also really helps with the the cohesiveness of the team to to allow for both right so i don't really structure it um we just try to create the environment for it to come out it, and I, the interesting thing is that if you went to kind of write down what you do, you probably do have a somewhat formulaic way you've learned and, and embraced. It's whether we recognize it or not. I think the good thing now is a lot more like team builders and founders and stuff are, are kind of going back and, and mapping, you know, the tough part is it's, it's not always true, right? It's a dangerous thing that, you know, remembered experience versus lived experience are, are two different things. We tend to shave out some of the negative side and, you know, or we, some folks embrace the negative. It's all they remember. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting. Um, and, and there is, you know, certainly there's a, a push in business um, to like systematize everything and, you know, build SOPs and make it repeatable. Um, and I think there's a lot of value to that in certain scenarios, right? When we're talking about, you know, you know, a build process or, or CICD or things like that, absolutely. It should be systematized. It should be documented. It should be a clear, defined process. Um, when we're talking about how to structure code, certainly we should have best practices, right? When we talk about culture and collaboration and, and retrospectives, and I'm a big fan of, of less structure there and because i think it's um it's easy to latch on to that as a, well this is the way we do things um and but the challenge i think is that when you have a way you do things you don't have the openness to do things other ways and so there's some i, I think there's some lost opportunity if you over systematize well to carry on to that i would say that no system is the best system in that particular part of operation, but it only succeeds if the core values are what you use as a framing. And so that's part of your hiring. That's part of your operations. Do you have kind of like, doesn't necessarily need to be the like printed on the behind the reception desk of like our values, you know, one, two, one to seven, right? Like AWS or Amazon is famous for like their, their kind of 12, you know, what, and I don't even know the number because, but I, right. they always say it's like, blah, 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 blah. And like number, number nine is be frugal. And anybody in other works, they're like, that should be number one. That's <laughs> like, they, seem, they lead with frugality. The rest is bonus. But yeah. like, where do you, how do you impart your core values amongst your team and, and kind of make sure that you're always revisiting that? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Um, so uh, I've gone through like, so, so I'm a, an EO member, entrepreneur organization. And, um, you know, when I, I've, I've gone to some events where they talk about um, core values and I did a, 
a, a, a seminar. It, it was a Simon Sinek. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Start with why, yeah. right? And I've always struggled with that kind of um, putting the soft stuff on paper, if you will, right? Yeah. Um, but like actually that 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 seminar I went to, uh, there was an odd number of people, and I ended up with the the facilitator. And so she kind of like she dug in with me, and she's like, she's like it doesn't have to be the soft stuff on paper, right? And and where we ended up in that whole thing though is like. Um, there, there are some values, and I think that um, by reinforcing the culture and, and kind of um, I have a high touch with my team, you know, I, I think it evolves, right? And I think if it doesn't evolve, then there's something missing, right? Because there are things that are more important as you evolve as a company, right? But um, to me, I look at like, are, are people happy, right? And, and that's a very relative kind of measure, but um, I think that is the top level kind of layer that leads to is the stuff underneath working, right? Yeah. Um, so we don't have it on the wall. Um, we certainly embrace certain things, right? We embrace the idea that we do things the right way, right? We do whenever possible, you know, from a technical perspective, from a do right by our customers perspective, we do things the right way. Um, we embrace the idea that we're the experts, right? Um, and, and, and people take pride in that. And, and so that's, that leads to that whole happiness kind of layer. Like if, if they feel like they're, um, I, this is actually probably the number one um, place where we, I, I find my team members get kind of discontent is when they aren't listened to, right? We have customers who bring us in to be the experts and then they don't listen to our expertise. And so that's where I think the number one frustration um, layer for my team happens is when, when that's, that happens, because I think that is a core value, right? We're the experts. We, we're here working with this customer because they brought us in as that. Um, and then if they don't listen to that, that's it, that creates some, some unhappiness. Um, but, uh, you know, we, so we do things the right way. We're the experts in the room. Um, I think this may sound a little bit uh, pretentious, um, but I think like we're smarter than the average bear, right? Like I think you know we embrace that as like we are, you know, we're we're a group of smart technologists, um, uh, and also that we're technology agnostic, right? So we don't say this is the right technology for everybody, right? We try to find the right solution for a given problem, and so we we have that open mindedness and flexibility around it. Um, so I think those are kind of our our core values, but how do we visit them and measure them? I mean, we don't, but we sort of do through our interactions with each other and kind of that, that making sure that people are happy or if they're not happy that we're understanding why and what the issues are so that we can surface them and try to address them. You know, and that's, I think as much as important as anything is, is how do you deal with conflict? And, and you know, do you have any how do you how do you deal with it when it's when it's not going well? What's your your approach? Um, so that that kind of goes back to the we succeed and I fail. I I tend to fall on the sword and try to get out and 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 be the one to like kind of say okay I you know I need to take that right like I need to fix it. I need to be the one who goes to the customer and says you know 
we need to make a change, right? Maybe it's, I need to change resources on a project because someone's getting beat up and they shouldn't be, and it's just a personality conflict or um, that, that tends to be, and that's not always the right answer, but it tends to be what I, what I fall back on um, because I kind of put myself in that spot as I, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the one who's ultimately responsible, right? If, if there's something that goes wrong, you know, I put myself out there as the leader to, to deal with it. And so that's, that's what I tend to do. It's a, uh, it's a tough responsibility, but it's when that, you know, trying to go back to that servant leadership approach, it really truly is what you have to do because goodness gracious, you know, there's no shortage of books that'll talk about how not to do things, which is throw your staff under the bus, you know, find a subversive way to kind of avoid the real issue. Sometimes you have to just kind of eat it. Whether right or wrong, it will get you to the point of being able to really begin again. And I, I, I think another one that's good is Ray Dalio. He wrote a book called Principles and, and one of my favorite ones out of, you know, there's like a lot in there, so much really good stuff to unpack is it's more important to seek the right answer than to seek being right. And, and it's something that I embrace all the time. Oh, younger version of old Disco Posse was not good at not being right. Like I wanted to be right. And I, yeah. would, and it be, you be get a little bit prickly sometimes because you're like, I'm pretty sure that I'm right about something versus now I'm the first one to go, huh, let's explore this. Like I, 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 I'm, I'd love to be, I'd love to figure out what's, what's right about this, you know, as a situation instead of, because sometimes, hey, look, we all enjoy, <laughs> I told you that was going to break down. Like I told you at the start of this project that this wasn't going to go on time because we were going to hit some technical thing. And you know, you see it. You're like, uh, you're like watching the train conductor have a heart attack and just slump over the wheel. And you're like, whew, I, there's a bad ending that we're heading for and no one seems to be aware of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny. Uh, I think that's something that comes with age, right? Um, that, that perspective, because... I used to be a bit bit of a hothead. Um, I had, uh, uh, got into it like it, earlier in my career. There there were scenarios where I got into it with a customer, and like you know, like like we did it, we did it right. We did what you were supposed to do, and and you guys are screwing this up, right? Yeah. Or um, <laughs> which not the best way to interact with customer, right? Like learning experience. It's not but, a good customer um, retention uh, tactic. How how? But it's <laughs> it's a natural it's a natural, like just part of that stage in our lives, which is why it's always funny when I, when someone says like, you know, what's the advice you would give 20 year old you? And I say, I would say this, but what would the response be from 20 year old me? Shut up, old man. I got this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 20 year old me had it all figured out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, right. Was, was trying to, trying to be an owner and, yeah. and, and it was, there were some hard lessons learned, which are, th I'm thankful that I'm on the other side of a lot of those good lessons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I had a, a, a so I, I was in a role where I had a, a tech lead. I was a project manager. I had a tech lead reporting to me and, um, you know, we were, we were, we were in the foxhole together, right? Like it was a, a huge project, a lot of moving parts and, and pain points and stuff. Um, but we were, we were in the foxhole and he, you know, he was like very, uh, 
I don't know if it was emotional intelligence or just he had a way of communicating to people. Um, and he at one point just looked at me and said, yeah, don't do it that way. Just take a deep breath. You're absolutely right, but like take a deep breath and like, let's go back and, and look at the options. And it was like, I was like, cause I was like ready to like go off on the, on the guy that created the problem. Right. I was just like, this is not like unacceptable. Right. Like, and he's like, just like, let's take it, take a step back. And I, I mean, yeah, he was my peer, right. Same age as me. Great, great relationship, good friends. But I like, it like blew my mind. I was like, how are you so calm? Like, this is all pain for you. Like I'm, I'm about to go to battle because, cause like, cause they're creating pain for you. And he's like, yeah, but like, it's okay. And, and so that was actually, I, I reflected on that particular moment as a point where like my maturity went like up like three layers at that, that day, because I like, it's like, okay, he's hundred percent right. Yeah. And he's actually saying, I appreciate that you're going to go like, throw down because you don't want me to suffer through this nonsense. But like at some point, maybe it's not worth it. And honestly, I started weighing those decisions about um, when, to, when to fight and when to like step back and, and look for alternatives. And I, I, that was a, a bit of a turning point for me in my career. Yeah, it's funny if we, we all have those like neat marked moments that, and when it's going on, you don't realize the impact, but then you find that you replay that in other things down the road, which is, which is kind of cool when we can learn and really embrace where the learning came from, which is like finding that origination point, which is neat. And then ultimately the person that whether they realized it or not was uh, an accidental mentor, right? They were just trying to share a moment with you and give you a little bit of guidance. And then you, now when you go back, you're like, Oh man, he was, he was doing this all the time. He was constantly giving me these things and you hear it in the phrases they use. And you're like, oh, I just didn't see it until that aha moment. You're like, oh yeah. man, that, that was, it was kind of there the whole time, which is kind of cool. Yeah. One thing I'm always curious on, you're a, you're a very positive person, even in the face of adversity, it sounds like, but what, what is, what's, yeah, the question that I love to ask, which I'm sure is like a stolen from a Tim Ferriss kind of like, you know, gotcha question was, what's the, what's the most difficult thing you've ever faced that you're thankful for? Uh, yeah, okay. So it's funny that you say I'm a positive person because uh, I'm often uh, like telling people I'm a realist and not a pessimist. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I must be coming off different today. Um, but uh, no, so, so I can, I can, you know, from a professional perspective, um, it was, it was a breakup with my partner, right? So I had a partner, we had two, he, he was a partner in this business. I was a partner in the other business. We, we had two businesses. Um, we had spent a year um, basically meeting on Sundays for two hours talking about starting a business, right? What, what was it going to be like? And we went through a whole bunch of ideas. Um, I took the leap and started Mgenio. Um, he followed, and we started the second business. And and you know, um, when that partnership fell apart, I mean, you know, everybody says you know uh, when a partnership 
falls apart. Like it's, it's like a divorce and it, it absolutely, I mean, it was six months of brutal, um, professional, emotional, like, uh, pain, right. It was, it was brutal. Um, but coming out the other side, uh, you know, I'm, I'm much happier. I'm more focused. My team's happier. You know, that like there's, things that you didn't see at the time that become visible, right, in hindsight. And, um, you know, so it's, it's good that it happened. I, I wish it had happened differently. Um, but, you know, I would definitely say that's, uh, that's probably the, the answer to your question. It's a, it's a heavy thing to go through, and, and especially like even, you know, a personal relationship, a business relationship, we all go through the same thing. You go through the stages of grief and the defensiveness. And it's like, I, and especially when you're like, I built this, like you have a, you know what you committed to this thing. And all of a sudden you're on divergent paths and it's, they are, they are just that. And I try and tell people too, even with like divorce and, and relationship breakups, you know, at a personal level, you know, I remember somebody asked me like, how did I, how did I do this? How did I marry the, the such a wrong person? And I said, no, you didn't. You became different people through a variety of path choices you've made over the past 10 years. You married the person you fell in love with and you built something amazing together. You have two incredible children. You're just now on slightly different paths and they aren't going to stay aligned. And, and it's like, again, uh, this is old me who, you know, 20 year old me would have been, shut up. You know, this is it. It's over. You know, like, yeah. Like when you're that you're 19 years old and you have, or like, especially you're like, you're 14 years old in a relationship ends. You're like, I'm going to kill myself because there's no purpose in going on in life. And meanwhile, like, you know, I I'm, I'm an older gentleman now. I could literally, they could wipe my bank account today. And I'd be like, man, that sucks. Right. All right. What do we do? You know, let's yeah. get back on the horse. Let's just get <laughs> like, you know, if I lost 20 bucks as a 14 year old, it would have been devastating. It, it, the, the, the ability to now look back and say like, I survived a lot of tough things. It really kind of shapes a lot of your future based on how well you can survive those moments. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and your point, I mean, so there, there was, as we got to the point where we were, we were about to part ways. I mean, there was a point where it's like, we're chasing different rabbits. Yeah. Fundamentally, we're just, we're chasing different rabbits and that, that doesn't work. Yeah. And it's, and it, the beauty part is at some point you both, you know, and, and anybody that has to separate a business, especially they just, you get over it. You know, they're truly, they're all often is that first little thing you're like, I kind of hope the business goes under, you know, like I kind of hope they, they suffer a little bit. Like you, it's just a natural thing. You're like, you want to have been important in that business that life that relationship like you want to have like mattered and right. that's like i think that's what's what drives us most to become angry about it is not that they did something wrong you're like why don't they get that i could have been an amazing part of this thing and then it's that it it is a bit of a selfish sort of view of of things and then eventually you're like well hey eh? i wish them the best and, and in fact i'm glad when they do well which is kind of kind of cool yeah I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a technical tactic for the very close of what we want to talk about. And, and by the way, Jacob, thank you. Man. This is fantastic. We haven't nearly spent enough time talking to MGNEO, so uh, we'll, I'll make sure 
I'll share the website and stuff and, and for folks in the show notes, but Internet of Things, one of the most grossly overused, you know, I would say we were just starting to get through that trough of dis disillusionment. Like it was all hype. I remember like five years ago, every conference was like, Internet of Things World, Internet of Things Expo, yep. and they're all gone. <laughs> right. But guess what? It's actually real now, which is where the, which is funny to watch as, you know, while you're beginning that journey, you're using mobile development to basically create your future in, in IoT. So I'd love to hear, you know, what is IoT to you and what are some of the kind of cool projects that you've, you've seen come to light? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. Like I, I think about internet things um, really in three different ways. Um, one is like smart home, smart products, right? And that's where a lot of the focus is. Um, and then the other is what they call industrial IoT, which is, um, you know, there, there's a ton of value in um, monitoring and preventative maintenance and, and kind of seeing how you can get out in front of issues or you can improve automation or um, you know, manage machine health and minimize downtime, right? Those are the two kind of ends of the spectrum that are you know, most kind of commonly talked about. Um, I think where I think things are going is this whole idea of like, uh, you have more of a, like a system, a connected system, right? So where you have, um, like a, a, a IOT is, uh, you know, you have all these different devices that can talk to each other and, and, and react to each other. I think that's where we're going to start to see things, right? So your faucet's running, um, when it's not supposed to be, and that triggers something that triggers something else, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't have a good example to kind of give you, but like, um, you see some of the, the existing smart home devices out there that are starting to tie things together. A great example would be like Ratio's uh, smart uh, irrigation system, right? Right. It ties into the weather and it doesn't water your lawn when it's raining. Great. Yeah. Simple problem solved, but think about all the different things that could, you know, contribute to, right, wh where you do things differently based on these different disconnected pieces of information um, all tying together. Um, so that's where I, you know, I think about IoT in a, in a bigger picture. And I think we're gonna see more and more integrations. Right now, some of it's, I mean, I, like, the, the voice activated stuff, it, it, okay. Like there's value to some people in that, right? If I can say, you know, um, you know, turn on my faucet or turn on my lights or turn off my lights or, you know, put my house to bed, whatever that is, there's value there, but it's, it's maybe a little gimmicky and like, it's a convenient yeah. thing. Um, I'm looking forward to, as we um, build out like the, the cloud infrastructure that supports these connections between devices, where we'll get to and see true value in these communicating devices. Shout out to the Clapper, the OG home <laughs> automation system. <Absolutely. laughs> I was like, 
how, how old were we when that came out? And it's like, this is, forget about Siri. I had it. I had the clapper. That thing was badass. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, we've, it's like popular science and popular mechanics things. Like you'd see the cover and it predicted the future. And I think what's amazing is you have to, at some point, just kept on the path so that all that hype would go away and eventually the future is already lived. And, and I, so I think really it's the, it's the practices that we're developing more so than the, the technology. And it will be the understanding of asynchronous, you know, often disconnected sensors, being able to reconnect and, and, and communicate. And how do you collect that data? and utilize that data and then apply things like machine learning and, and, and use algorithmic approaches based on data. So instead of the binary, it's currently raining, don't water my lawn, to it rained for 20 minutes, but it's been a desert for the past four weeks. So in an hour, let's keep watering the lawn. So yeah. there's a big difference between and you know, Siri, right. uh, you know, what, what temperature is it in my vacation home, which I don't have a vacation home and I don't use Siri. So I lied right. twice there. I'm, I'm a, filling this place with a house of lies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that's you're very astute what you're saying there. Um, and I think the other thing that I think will continue to contribute to it, we do a lot of the stuff we do in the cloud is serverless. Yeah. And I think that's making things way more accessible. Right. So um, more innovative, like startups and smaller brands and manufacturers who don't necessarily have the R and D budget to go build something completely custom and build a cloud and build, you know, it's becoming more accessible so that more people can enter and experiment and that that's going to make it. So we start to see some additional innovation and connectivity. I, it would be one of the terms that is amongst my most dreaded but the it, it's true is you know serverless like the the og serverless was effectively lambda like aws lambda we they called it serverless but it really was was event driven architecture and event driven computing that reacted and responded to events and then ultimately drove events through other systems sadly it became called serverless and then we we fought just like I do all the time about on-premise versus on-premises. Like it's stupid semantics of, of words, but you know, I, I truly think that's that, that asynchronicity, the ability to be event-driven, and then to use that now vast pool of data to make better decisions as to when to trigger that next event. So it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. What's Absolutely. your, what's your biggest hope, you know, in the next, year other than getting out of the house <laughs> uh that, you know i that's a that's a great question um you know i i think getting out of the house is a big one yeah. um no i i would love to see uh i mean from a company perspective you know we're looking to grow um you know but but in a smart and conservative way um from a personal perspective you know, I'd love to see the kids go back to school, you know, um, not, I, you know, I'm not talking politically like should it open or no, not, no, but just the, you know, the experience, like, you know, the experience of being able to get back to like human connection. Um, I, I, I'll call that a hope. I, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, but uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. 
I, I join you in that hope. And so, Jacob, this has been fantastic. I really enjoy this discussion. So for folks, again, go to mgneo.com, uh, mgeneio.com. Uh, I, I love your tagline, too, because it's bringing big ideas to life. And I think this is so much of, of the power of consultancy is that I, the old phrase, right? I don't know much about art, but I know what I like. So yeah. the best thing you can do is commission an art, you know, and that's really the value. And I, I truly believe that consultancy is such a core part of, of doing things. And so many people, look, do you want to, do you want to be in the business of building these things? Or do you want to be in the business of mapping your business requirements to somebody else who can help you build that thing? And it's such a beautiful relationship. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy for what you and the team are doing. And so I hope that those three beautiful kids get to go to school too, as I do. I got four myself and, and let me tell you, we need to get everybody out of the house, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which would be good, which would be good. So, uh, so again, oh, and where, if folks want to connect with you uh, online, uh, how do we do that, Jacob? Uh, yeah, so I, I'm not really active on social media outside of LinkedIn, but uh, LinkedIn uh, slash Jacob Glenn, um, is, uh, you can find me there. Um, and then, like I said, um, our, our website. Um, so. Perfect. Yeah. Well, make sure to do that in the show notes. All right. Well, this has been an absolute right. enjoyable uh, discussion. Thanks very much. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks for having me.